we're thankful for the safety the Lord's given us through the last two nights of storms, and we'll pray for it again as another round comes through here in just a little while. I just want to add to what Drew said, my congratulations to the Elgins on your 45th wedding anniversary. We are thankful for God's grace in your life, a big milestone here, and thankful for the example you set for all of us in the way you love one another and love the Lord, and so we're thankful for you and thankful. I want to wish you a happy anniversary today. We'll turn to John. Oh, yeah. Turn to John chapter 1. We're continuing our journey through the Gospel of John this morning. As you're getting to John chapter 1, I want you to begin by thinking about the idea of introductions and how important introductions can be to you personally and even in your own life. Perhaps it's when you have a friend who connects you with someone you don't know and they say, hey, this is my friend from college. You know, all of a sudden now there's a connection. There's a reason why that person might be more willing to listen to you. When you, hear, when you hear an introduction, it opens some opportunities for more trust. Hey, this is someone who has done work for my business, and I think he might be able to help you as well. They have a reason to hear the sales pitch, right? Because your friend recommended him. The introduction has helped you be willing to listen. Introductions provide context. Hey, you're an engineer, and he's an engineer. Y'all are working on the same projects here. You might want to talk. It gives you common ground. Or, hey, this is my friend. He likes football. You like football. You know, the introductions give us some common ground for our conversation. Stations. And you see that they're important. You see them in political nominations. You see them in political speeches, even in inaugurations. You see it in business meetings. You see it even in the pastoral search process. Before I ever came here, the pastoral search committee kind of introduced me to you guys. And for the several months before, they've been introducing you guys to me in the process as well. So we kind of somewhat knew each other before we ever even met. Introductions are important. Well, last week we saw John, the Apostle John, give us an introduction to his book. Of what he was trying to do. And if you remember from last Sunday, John was trying to show us that Jesus is the eternal word and Jesus is the eternal light. And he showed us that this eternal word, this eternal light, this Jesus came to show us God's glory. He came to make us children of God and he came to give us grace upon grace. If you remember last week, we talked about the idea of the waves of grace crashing over us. That's what Jesus came to do. That was part of the Apostle John's introduction to his book. Today we're picking up in verse 19, and this is the, the content of the book, the, the, the body of the book. And all this is building to the very end of the book where he's going to conclude by saying all of these things were written so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ. And by believing, you may have life in his name. And so everything he's trying to tell us from verse 19 now to the end of the book is all in the content of the book of helping us believe in who Jesus is so that we might believe and have life. And so as he begins this content of his book, verses 1 through 18 was his introduction. He starts with the content in verse 19. The content is going to begin with some important introductions as well. And that's what we get to this morning. Because in chapters 1 and 2 here, we're going to see the first week in Jesus' kind of public ministry, if you will. It's the first week where Jesus kind of goes public with who he is. And during these first seven days of Jesus' public ministry, there's several key introductions that happen to announce to the world who he is and why he came. And so what we get to today is the introduction from John the Baptist. So just to be clear, John the Apostle is recording for us the introduction that John the Baptist gave about Jesus. And these are different people. So he's John the Apostle who wrote the Gospel of John. is recording for us who John the Baptist, a different person, is how he introduced Jesus to the world, basically. John the Baptist is an important person in the Bible. He's written or he's mentioned more than 89 times in the New Testament. Yet we don't know much about him here from the Gospel of John because the Apostle John doesn't tell us much about the life of the, the John the Baptist apart from what he did his ministry. He doesn't tell us more of his life. We have to go back to Luke to learn more about who is this John 
the Baptist. And so just a little background before we get into our text for today. Who is this John the Baptist? Well, he was a son of a priest, a priest by the name of Zechariah. Zechariah's wife Elizabeth are described as righteous people in God's sight. And one day while Zechariah is in the temple giving sacrifices, an angel appears and speaks to him and says, you're going to have a son, and your son is going to be great before the Lord. And don't miss this. The angel basically tells Zechariah that his son, John, who we know as John the Baptist, would be filled with the Holy Spirit from within the womb. I mean, this is significant. Like, he, he is born, filled already with the Holy Spirit in his life because God had a special purpose for John the Baptist, and that was to turn the Jewish people to God. It was to prepare the way for the coming of the Lord. And so this man who was given to Zechariah and Elizabeth, this boy, grows up as John the Baptist, full of the Holy Spirit, coming to prepare the way for the Messiah. And he's going to give the introduction to the people of who is this Jesus. So that leads us to John chapter 1 and verse 19. Can I ask you to stand, please, in honor of the reading of the Word of God? We're going to be in John chapter 1, verses 19 through verse 34 this morning. And you can follow along your copy of God's Word, or the words will be on the screen. Verse 19. And this is a testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, No. So they said to him, Who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now, they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, then why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know. Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. The next day, he saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes the man who ranks before me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. Would you pray with me? Father, we are thankful for the power in your word. Father, we are thankful that you have given it to us. And I pray this day, Holy Spirit, you would come and fill our hearts and fill our lives to give us eyes to see the truth of your word. And I pray we would leave this place changed because we have met with you, O Lord. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. There's one main idea I want us to see this from the introduction that John the Baptist gives for Jesus this morning. And that's simply this, that John the Baptist lived to exalt Christ. John the Baptist lived to exalt Christ. Now, what does it mean to exalt? To exalt means to raise someone up, to honor, to praise, to extol. Everything about John the Baptist's life, this one who was filled with the Holy Spirit from the womb, who was set apart to prepare the way for the Messiah... Everything about his life was about exalting, lifting up, making Christ known. And then, so we look at this text, there's kind of three things that we see about how he exalted Christ. We see in this text that he exalted Christ with his attitude. He had an attitude of humility. It was nothing about himself. It was all about Christ. So in his attitude, he exalted Christ. We see in this text that his actions exalted Christ. His actions being his ministry, what he was trying to do. 
but also see in this text that his words, his confessions also exalted Christ. Everything about John the Baptist, his heart attitudes, his actions, and his words were all about, not about him, but about the Christ who was coming and has come. Now, to understand this, we need to understand the setting of what's going on here, because this setting is not an accident. This is not just a situation God's going, oh, wow, I guess I can make something out of this. A situation that God has ordained, because the time has come for Christ to be revealed, for who he is to be revealed. And so God has set up, has orchestrated the situation for John the Baptist to have the opportunity to announce to all those around who this Jesus is. So look back at the setting with me, verse 19. And this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? It just simply begins with, this is the testimony. What is a testimony? It's one's witness. You can even think of it as one's reputation in a sense. It's what one is confessing. And it's the testimony of who? It's the testimony of John. Well, it doesn't differentiate it here as John the Baptist. But we know from the context that's who it is. John the Apostle, again, is recording for us the testimony of John the Baptist. And the testimony he's recording is not what we just saw in the introduction. That was from John the Apostle. This is now the testimony that he's recording is what's coming, what we're looking at this morning. And what is the setting of this? Verse 19, when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? So the setting is the Jews have sent priests and Levites to find out who this John is. This is not all Jews, because remember, John was a Jew, Jesus was a Jew. When John, the Apostle John speaks of Jews, he's usually speaking here of the Jews who are hostile to Christ, those who did not believe. And so this is the Jews who are hostile to Christ. And specifically, we know later on from verse 24, you see the little parentheses in your copy, guys, where they're, now they have been sent from the Pharisees. The Pharisees are the one who send a delegation, an official embassy, if you will, to find out what in the world is going on here. The Pharisees were the real religious leaders, and they saw themselves as guardians of the truth. So why would the Pharisees even care about a guy in the wilderness who's baptizing people and saying, prepare the way of the Lord? Why is this a big deal for them? Well, they were concerned because if you go back to Matthew chapter 3, John the Baptist had a big following. There were a lot of people who were coming out from the sea to hear what he had to say. And so these religious authorities want to know what in the world is going on. What is this movement? Is this a different teaching going on out here? Could this lead to insurrection? Could this lead to instability? They were concerned, basically for themselves more than anything else in this. They send a delegation out trying to figure out who is this John that's out there in the wilderness baptizing people. And it's really an official delegation that they send out. It's the only place in Scripture you see priests and Levites linked together. So the Pharisees basically send the priests and Levites together, a diverse group, to do their dirty work for them of reporting back who is this guy out there and what is he teaching. And basically this group of priests and Levites do an interrogation of John the Baptist. Look back in verses 19, and we'll read a few verses. Notice the questions they ask in this interrogation. Let's start back towards the end of verse 19 with the question, Who are you? He, John, confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. So they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? So those are questions here. Who are you? Are you Elijah? Are you the prophet? <clears throat> who are you? We need to know. What do you have to say about yourself? What's important about these questions, these questions reveal a messianic expectation. They're basically asking John, are you the Messiah? It's what they're getting at here. If you go back to their very first question in verse 19, who are you? If someone asks you, who are you? 
You might identify yourself by your job or your family. You usually kind of give positive things about who you are. But notice how John answers their question. Who are you? He says, I am not the Christ. And how often do you introduce yourself like, who are you? Uh, I'm not a graduate of the University of Alabama. You know, that's not how we introduce ourselves. You know, who are you? Well, I'm not a fan of the Braves. Yeah, I mean, that's not normally how we introduce ourselves in terms of negatives. Why? Because we normally are telling about us. But he, they ask, who are you? He says, I am not the Christ. Because he knows what they're asking for. He knows that they're trying to find out, is he the Messiah? So he just cuts to the chase and tells them, I am not the Christ. He understands what they're asking. But they ask him again in the next verse, in verse 21. It says, what then? Are you Elijah? Where's this coming from? Well, they understood there was a prophecy in Malachi chapter 4, verse 5, that God would send Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord. So saying, okay, if you're not the Christ, are you the, the promise of Elijah coming to prepare the way? And he answers, no. So they ask him again in the next verse there, or the same verse, he says, are you the prophet? Again, he answers, no. He's not, they didn't ask if he was a prophet. They asked if he is the prophet. This goes back to Deuteronomy 18 and a prophecy that God would raise up from among his own people, a prophet. They're asking, John, are you this guy? And again, he tells them, no. John was not fulfilling any of these roles they were looking to. He was not the Messiah. And they don't like his answers. They end up more confused because everything they thought he perhaps might be, he's not. And so they're even more confused. And so look at verse 25. They changed their tactic on him. Since he wouldn't tell them who he was, he'd only answer negatives. They decided to ask him about what he does instead of who he is. So look at verse 25. They ask him, then, why are you baptizing if you're neither the Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet? They're asking, okay, you're not going to tell us who you are, so you're doing this baptism. Now, why are you doing it? They're ultimately asking, what authority do you have? What right do you have to be out here baptizing people? That is the setting. Again, this is not accidental. This is a setting that God has orchestrated because the time has come for Christ to be revealed. So look at how what John, how John answers these questions and how he's living and how his, what his words and actions and attitudes are to see how he lived to exalt Christ. So he said there's three ways that John the Baptist lived to exalt Christ. First, with his attitude, with his humility. And we'll get there in a few weeks, but in John chapter 3, there's the famous phrase of John the Baptist. He must increase, I must decrease. And we're going to get to that, but today just realize everything that he's doing in his attitudes, his actions, and his words is really reflected in that one verse. He's trying to exalt, increase Christ, and, and, and humble himself here. And remember, he's gaining fame. Many, many, many people are coming out from the cities. He's becoming popular. He's becoming like an icon out in the wilderness. He's becoming well-known, and the people in power are scared by him. And so they ask him all these questions, but notice in all of his answers, he doesn't talk about self. He talks about God over and over and over. So let's look back at his, at his attitude as seen in his answers. Back in verse 20, they just ask him, are you, who are you? Again, meaning, are you the Messiah? And look at his answer here, verse 20. He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And our English kind of loses something in some translation here. There's actually four expressions. He confessed, he did not deny, he confessed, I am not the Christ. I mean, how often when someone asks you something, do you say, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I'm telling you. Unless you're really upset with your kids. We normally don't repeat ourselves quite that way, right? You know, we don't normally do this, but we do, he's doing this. He's piling up one expression after another to show the seriousness of his rebuttal. He's trying to show them, you ask if I'm the Messiah, I'm going to confess. I am going to not deny, and I'm going to confess. Again, you better listen to what I'm about to say, because this is my confession here. And what he says here, he begins with, I am not the Christ. Again, we lose it in English, but the I here is not just a pronoun. It's an emphatic pronoun. 
He's like screaming, I am not the Christ. If we were doing this today, if you were tweeting this, he'd be tweeting in all bold, right? It's in all capitalization here, you know, if he was communicating the way we do today. He's almost like screaming here, I am not. It's emphatic in the way he's doing this. He is denying that he is the Christ. Who is Christ? Christ is not Jesus' last name. Christ is a title. It means the anointed one, as does the Messiah means anointed one. He's saying, I am not in any way, shape, form, or fashion the anointed one. I am in no way the Messiah that you are looking for. That is not who I am. And so we see his humility even in that of rejecting any fame that he might could get from making those claims. But look at his other answers as well that show his humility. In verse 21, they ask him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And again, he answers, no. So he denies being the prophet. He denies being Elijah. Well, now we come up a little quandary here. What do we do about this? Because if you go back to Matthew chapter 11, when Jesus is talking about John, Jesus says something about John the Baptist. He says, actually, verse 13, he says, For all the prophets in the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So what do you do with this? John the Baptist says, I'm not Elijah. And Jesus says, he's Elijah. So what's going on right here with this? Well, what's going on here is the Jews had expected Elijah himself, who was taken up to heaven without dying, to reappear in bodily form. That was kind of how they had misinterpreted the Malachi 4 prophecy. They were expecting Elijah in bodily form to, to reappear here. And so John denies that understanding of it. He's saying, no, no, I'm not Elijah who's come back. That's not who I am. But what was really that prophecy was all about is a prophet would come who would function like Elijah in the way he would warn the people and talk to the people. And John did function in that role. But why would John deny he's functioning in that role when Jesus said he functioned in that role? I think it has to go with John's humility here. In a sense, he wants so much to exalt Christ, he did not even fully grasp the position that God had put him in. He was so into not exalting himself, so into making Jesus big, not himself. I don't even think John fully realized how much he was fulfilling the role of being the Elijah to come to prepare the way of the Lord here. I believe John's humility kept him from seeing the true scope of his ministry. And friends, if we're going to err, it'd be better to err on the side of John who thinks less of what we're doing instead of thinking more of what we're doing than what Jesus thinks that we're doing. So John sets an example even in that of his humility. But we see it again in his next answer, another place in verses 26 and 27. This is in response to that in verse 25. They say, then why are you baptizing if you that the Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet? So look at John's answer in verse 26. John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know. Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. So they ask about the authority of baptism. It's a legitimate question. The Jews did baptism, but they only did baptism for Gentile converts because they saw the Gentiles as dirty people and they needed to be ceremonially clean. They did not typically baptize other Jews, only those who were coming in from outside the faith. But John is out here baptizing Jews also. This creates a little bit of a stir. Why, what grounds is he baptizing Jews? They're already kind of in, in the mind of the, the leaders at the time. And so they demand of him, what authority are you doing this? Well, friends, I don't know if you ever get challenged with things. So you get asked, on what basis are you doing this? We very quickly, I tend to very quickly start trying to justify myself. Well, I did this because, fill in the blank, or so-and-so said I could, whatever. We tend to start explaining when we get challenged on what basis we're doing things. But John doesn't do that. They say, on what authority are you doing this? He doesn't say, God sent me. He doesn't start justifying all these things. He doesn't do any of that. Rather, what he does, he decides to talk about Jesus instead. 
of answering their questions and their demands. And he points out how great Christ is. And does this with an imagery that sometimes I think we lose in our culture. Verse 27, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. What, what is John the Baptist saying here? Well, in this day and age when he, this was written, you had disciples and you had masters. And disciples do lots of things for their masters. In kind of agreement for the master teaching the disciple, the disciple would do things to serve the master. So often it could become kind of confusing, the distinction between the slaves and the disciples, because they both would do things. And so to make a point that they were not slaves but disciples, there was one thing that the disciples at this time refused to stoop to do that was untie the sandals of their master. It was the one thing they kind of cling to, saying, I'm a disciple, I'm not a slave. Look, I don't do the shoes. I don't do the sandals. And John is saying, listen, I'm not only so low and Christ is so big, it's not just that I untie his shoes. I'm not even worthy to do that. I'm not even worthy to be his slave, much less his student. An imagery that would just resonate throughout that time period of how low he saw himself in view of the greatness of Christ. We see his attitude of humility. One more place, though, verse 30. It says, this John speaking, and this is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. Again, he's holding up Christ as preeminent. Christ is greatest. And so in response to all the questions he get asked, he humbles himself and he exalts Christ. He doesn't talk about stuff. He only talks about Christ. And so we start with that because, friends, out of our attitude, out of our heart, flows everything else. Our attitudes, our heart affections are going to determine our actions, determine our words. And so we start there with John the Baptist's attitudes, his humility, how that flows his actions, his ministry. So let's see now how he, is, he really exalts Christ with his actions, with his ministry. His entire ministry was about the coming of Christ, not about self, not about gaining fame. It's all about Christ. Look at verse 23. Verse 23, he said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah has said. He's telling us what he's doing. And he says simply, I am a voice. He doesn't say, I am the one who's doing this. He said, I'm the voice here. He's, it's significant because the point of a voice is not the body it's attached to. It's the message it brings. Friends, you can't see a voice. And that's John's exact point. I'm just a voice. Don't look at me. I'm not saying for you to see. Don't look at me. I am just the voice. I am just the message that you are hearing. He gives no preeminence to the preacher or the messenger. It's all about the message he has. And the message he has there in that verse is simply from Isaiah 43. Look at in the verse 23 there. He says, make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Again, he's quoting Isaiah 43. Make straight the way of the Lord. There's an imagery here. Back in this day, there wasn't the big, wide interstate highways that we have now. There were smaller roads, and they could get covered with debris, with trees, with obstacles. And so there would be people who would go along the road and remove the obstacles so there could be safe travel, safe passage. And that's the imagery that John is trying to convey as he quotes Isaiah. That Isaiah was conveying here that his role is not to be known himself, but his role is to clear the obstacles for people to understand the coming of the Messiah. But we see his ministry described secondly here in verse 31. Again, we see... He's here to exalt Christ, not self. Look at verse 31. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose, this reason, I came baptizing the water, that he might be revealed to Israel. John came not for himself, but he came so that Jesus would be revealed. That means to make manifest, to make evident, to make plain for all to see. John saw that his mission was not getting a lot of followers for himself. It was not becoming famous. 
was not making a name for himself, but he was making claim for all to see who this Christ is. He lived to exalt Christ with his attitude of humility, with his actions of his ministry. But lastly, we see that John lived to exalt Christ with his very words, with his confessions. Look at verse 29. He has several confessions I want you to see in this text, but I want you to see these. Let's start with verse 29. The next day, he saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And he begins with, Look, behold. Not look at me, not look at what I'm doing, not look at my followers. But he wants you to notice something. He wants you to notice that Jesus is the Lamb of God. We love this phrase, Lamb of God, but interestingly, it's only found in John chapter 1. You find it nowhere else in all the Bible that Jesus is the Lamb of God. It appears two times in this chapter. We'll see it here. We'll see it again over the next few weeks here. Lamb is a reference to the Old Testament sacrifices, especially the Passover. It's the imagery of the animals being killed, the innocent animals being killed, and the flowing of blood that was necessary for the covering of sin. And he's pointing to Jesus being that final sacrifice, that once-for-all sacrifice for people. It wasn't just any lamb. He says he's the, behold, the lamb of God. The lamb who comes from God, the lamb who belongs to God, the lamb who is God himself. And this special lamb comes to do something. And look at verse 29. Behold the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This word for taking away means getting rid of something, not covering it. It's not that it's sweeping it under the rug. This is like full removal from the house here. This Lamb of God who came to be the sacrifice came to totally carry off our guilt, to totally remove our sin from us. Not just for us, but for all those in the world. It does not matter what background you're from, this is available. The Lamb of God came for the world. That's his first confession, that Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away sin. But look at another confession he makes, verse 32. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. Well, he's referencing Jesus' baptism, but he gives us a detail that none of the other Gospels give. Not only did the Spirit of God descend on Jesus, it also did what? What's that word? It, it remained on him. He saw the Spirit descend and not depart. The Spirit descended and remained. That means the Spirit of God permanently was with Jesus. He was permanently anointed. It was his divine anointed. And so, again, it's a confession that John the Baptist is making. Here's the Lamb of God who takes away sin in the world. And guess what? The Holy Spirit is permanently with him. I saw the Holy Spirit descend and remain with him. But there's two more confessions he makes here in verses 33 and 34. So look back at those verses. He said, I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and I have borne witness that this is the Son of God. So just two more quick confessions he makes with his words to exalt Christ. First, Jesus is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. That Jesus comes to bring us the Holy Spirit. We might have permanently God's presence and so no longer be alienated or separated, but to permanently have God's presence in our lives. He also again reminds us that Jesus is the Son of of God, the one who was sent from the Father, which is what we saw last week in the introduction, that, that Jesus is the Word who came from God, who was God, and who is with God. This idea, we already see the Trinity right there, that Jesus is the Son of God. And so we see throughout John's response and the situation God has brought about that he lived to exalt Christ. But how was he able to do that? Well, obviously he was set apart from birth, we mentioned that, but there's something that I think I've missed in the past looking through this text of how John was able to so faithfully exalt Christ. Look back at verse 32 and 33. Verse 32, And John bore witness, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, 
You don't miss that phrase there. He who sent me to baptize water said to me, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. God did not just give John the Baptist insight into who Jesus was. He gave him supernatural revelation to understand that Jesus was the Messiah here. This is what the Gospels record for us in the baptism. But he tells us here in John something extra that at some point, and we don't know when before the baptism, again, verse 33, he who sent me to baptize, that's God, said to me, and then tells him what's going to happen at the baptism. So God gives John a special revelation to understand what he's called to do. Which is a little side note, friends, that's a great reminder for us that whenever God calls us to do things, even if it's outside of our comfort zone, he will always equip and enable us to do that which he's called to do, the mission that he has set before us. So what do we learn from all this about John the Baptist? You know, what, what do we get from all this? Well, if you were here last Wednesday night, I talked to you as we seek to understand the Bible, how the text determines the meaning. The text conveys the meaning of a text. And this particular text is all about a particular point in redemptive history where God is using John to prepare the people for the coming of the Messiah. And so John does that by exalting Christ with his whole life. He does that by exalting Christ with his, with his attitudes, with his actions, and with his very words. But if we are in Christ, friends, we are also to make much of Christ. And so the meaning of the text is tied to this particular point in redemptive history. But the application of the text has much to say to you and me where we are today. So the question for myself and the question for you this morning as we think about the life of John the Baptist is are our, our lives making much of Christ also? Is your life making much of Christ? Are you living to exalt Christ? In your attitudes, is it, are you going to see God exalted or is pride getting in the way? In your actions, are you spending your energy and your time to make sure Christ is exalted and Christ is known or is the pursuit of worldly fame or worldliness or something else hindering that? How about in your words? Are your words about exalting Jesus and his greatness? Are they about exalting self? Are we bold and bearing witness like John or are we timid in our words? And friends, if our life, if we see areas where our life is not all about exalting Jesus like John the Baptist modeled for us, we need to remember something. The same Holy Spirit that empowered John to this way is the same Holy Spirit that dwells in every child of God. And so if we're not seeing that our lives are characterized by exalting Christ in our attitudes and our actions and our words, friends, we have help. And we can just simply ask for that type of help. Ask him to fill you. Ask for what we talked about last week, for that grace upon grace upon grace to live the ways called to do. What we talked about even back at the beginning of January, when Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be open. Friends, if we are having trouble exalting Christ in all of our life, the Holy Spirit says, I'm here. Ask, and keep on asking. Seek, and keep on seeking. Knock, and keep on knocking. God will give us the grace upon grace upon grace that we need in order to have our lives focused on exalting Christ. But again, in light of the meaning of this passage at this point in redemptive history, remember John wrote this book primarily John 23 would say that you might believe that he is the Christ, and that by believing you may have life in his name. We have to go back even to a more fundamental question. Do we recognize this Christ who John the Baptist is presenting to us? The one he's trying to exalt and hold up high. Do we recognize this Christ? Do we believe in his greatness that John the Baptist and John the Apostle are showing to us here? And do we believe he has taken away our sin? Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Has that become our experience? That is what the Gospel of John has been given so that we might believe in that. And so, friends, this morning, I don't know where you are, but if you've never experienced 
Jesus, the Lamb of God, taking away your sin, it's got to start right there. If you've never experienced believing that he is the Son of God, as John confessed, it's got to start there. That's why John recorded these words for us. But friends, if you do believe and your life has already been changed, you know your sin has been removed, completely taken away, then we have to go to that secondary application question of does my life follow this example that John the Baptist says? Is my life marked by a longing to see Christ exalted in my heart attitudes, my affections, and my actions, and in my words? And if we see things, whether it's pride or worldliness or anything that stands in the way, if there's some sin that stands in the way, it's time for us to cry out to the Holy Spirit to fill us afresh that we might do business with the Lord so our lives can be what, what they're supposed to be, and that is all about exalting Christ. Would you join me in prayer? Father, I do thank you for your word. God, I'm grateful for your kindness to us and giving it to us. Father, I thank you that you've not left us without revelation, but you've shown us who you are and what it means to follow you. And Lord, I do pray this day and as we go throughout this week that you would remind us that our lives are not to be pursued in doing things for self. But God, it's all about you. God, you are the only one who is worthy of praise. You are the only one who's worthy of being exalted and lifted up. Father, we are not. So God, would you forgive us for the times that we act like our lives are about us? God, would you forgive us about the times that we make life about us and our pursuits and our desires and our happiness? Father, our lives are here to be a reflection of your glory and to let the world know how great you are. So God, would you remind us of that calling and that purpose as we go throughout this week? And Father, we can't do that on our own. Father, we can't have heart attitudes that long to see you exalted, not self. Father, we can't have actions that reflect a life marked by wanting to know you and making you known on our own strength, God. We cannot even have words that proclaim your greatness apart from what you've done in us, Father. We are totally dependent upon you. So, God, I ask in my own life and the lives of these brothers and sisters that you would send your Holy Spirit in, in greater power in our lives this week. God, that our lives might be not about us, not about gateway, not about what we're doing in our jobs, but all about you, Lord Jesus. And give us grace upon grace for that task, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as we sing our closing song?